there's doula groups with like thousands and thousands of doulas. And so everyone's going to have a different opinion. But when I hear doulas say that you don't have to treat a VBAC client different than you would treat any other birthing person, that like really makes me cringe because if you don't understand what makes a VBAC client different than a person without a scar on their uterus, you're doing a really big disservice to them. Welcome to the One Strong Mama podcast, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. We're talking with visionaries who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, exercise physiologist, doula, and childbirth educator. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And I'm also passionate about coconut LaCroix. And I'm Lauren O'Hayan, a mom of three girls, lover of all things tropical. I have never had coconut LaCroix, and I am known for my work with the core and pelvic floor. Today, we're joined by the ladies at the VBAC link and talking all about how to support a vaginal birth after cesarean. One of the biggest mistakes a birth worker can make is thinking that supporting a client with a scar on their uterus is exactly the same as supporting a client without one. These ladies give us the nitty gritty on what it looks like to support this special population, both prenatally, during the birth itself, and post-birth, whether the birth was vaginal or not. And in case you're thinking, I'm not a doula, this episode isn't for me, I think it's so important to realize that no matter what capacity you're serving the pregnant person, that it really does them a disservice to not understand the unique situation that the VBACing person is in. Julie Frankum, did I say that correctly? Yep. And Megan Heaton are doulas and owners of the VBAC link. At the VBAC link, their mission is to make birth after cesarean better by helping parents preparing for VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean. Between the two of them, they have supported over 700 parents in their VBAC journeys. They have had three HBACs, which is a home birth after cesarean, and one VBAC2, which is a vaginal birth after two cesareans. That's awesome. Besides their VBAC courses for parents and doulas, you will want to make sure that you check out their podcast of VBAC stories, VBAC blogs, and their Facebook community of support. They also train doulas in how to support VBAC. That is so awesome. I am so excited. We are so excited that you two are here talking to us. Um, We usually start out our conversations just by asking a little bit about how you guys got into this, how you got started, how you guys partnered up. So just give us a little rundown of your background. Julie, do you want to do the honors since you're the one that kind of came to me first? (laughs) Yeah, I totally will. Um, First of all, we are really excited to be here talking to you guys as well. I, I just love when women collect together and work together for the greater good for anything, like find your passion and, and do it. And I'm so glad that we are all here passionate about motherhood. So it's an honor for us to be here. Let's see. Oh my gosh. Where do I start? It's such a long story. Maybe I should start by saying, if you want to hear our full stories, um, we're episodes number two and three on our podcast. So, um, the VBAC link podcast, um, but just kind of the short version, I, with my first birth, I had a C-section. Um, I was induced at 36 weeks because I had preeclampsia and, um, my experience was not 
great. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, but I knew that for my second birth, I wanted to have a vaginal birth and I don't even think I really knew VBAC was a thing. I just thought people just got vaginal births after C-sections. And it wasn't until I got pregnant again that I realized what a political yeah, a lot of barriers. <laughs> yeah, that it can be. And it's hard. And and people look at you like you're crazy, especially when you talk about home birth after a cesarean and people are like, oh my gosh, you're going to die. Um, yeah. And I'm like, no, it's actually really safe. But so after my second VBAC, or I'm sorry, my first VBAC, my second birth, um, I had a really, really awesome doula that had had VBAC herself and supported a lot of VBAC parents. And so I knew I wanted to be a doula. I know it sounds like super cheesy, but like I felt the calling to, to be a doula. Like I had to be that for other people. And so I enrolled in a doula training and, um, I kind of just started off, uh, specializing in VBACs right away. And, um, since then I had two more babies, <laughs> um, VBACs at home again. So I've had three VBACs total at home. Um, and they were all incredible and empowering experience. And then along the way, I've supported many women in their journeys, both VBAC and not VBAC, like just vaginal births or cesareans, just all sorts of parents. And I knew after, I knew that I've always known that I wanted to do something bigger than just supporting my local community. Like I love the one-on-one. -on -one. I love all my clients and I love supporting parents, but I knew I wanted to make a bigger impact somehow in some way. And so after I was done having children, <laughs> I knew I wanted a business partner. That's kind of what led me to Megan. Megan had just had her feedback after two C-sections, not that long before. And I knew she had an amazing experience. And so I was like, <laughs> I was so nervous to reach out to her. I was, because I knew like, I just knew that she had to be my partner. I didn't want to do this alone. I'm horrible at being accountable to myself and I needed somebody else. And so I reached out to Megan and I'll let her share the funny side of the story about that. Um, and long story short, she said that she would love to. And so then one day while we were in the middle of writing our first version of our course manuals, I called up Megan and I said, you know what? We should start a podcast. And she was like, what? And I said, yeah, we should start a podcast. Like, I, like the future of social media or social networking is podcasting. I'm like, we should do it. And she's like, well, I think that would be so much time. <laughs> like, do you really think we have time to do a podcast? And I'm like, well, let me test it out. So that night I downloaded a free audio editor and um, used a free conference call line and recorded a little bit of audio and enrolled in a free podcast host and uploaded it and made a description. And then I called Megan. I was so excited. I'm like, Megan, look what I did. I just created a podcast and it only took me like 40 minutes. This is going to be so easy. <laughs> and she said, okay, okay, I guess we can try. And <laughs> and now we've grown into this. We have over 200,000 downloads, um, in will be two years strong next month in May. And since then we've created our online courses. We have parents and doulas that we teach all over the world. We just got an order for 
um, South Africa a few months ago. We have doulas in India and Saudi Arabia. We have lots of parents and doulas in Canada um, and all over the United States, of course. And it's just been really incredible to fill this need that nobody really knew was there until we came into this space. And it's been just such an incredible journey. It really has. It's hard to believe that it's already been two years. And it definitely didn't take no time. <laughs> she was like, I mean, she was yeah. like, yes, yeah. no time at all. I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> but honestly, it's the best. We're so happy that we're here and we're so excited that we've been able to grow internationally. And so, yeah, so once she asked me, I was like, yes, I love it. Totally want to be involved in, um, in this amazing journey. And so here we are. And so, yeah, we, like she said, we do the doula courses. So we have our certified doulas and we love to get to know them and hear their journey. So as they're certifying, they send us kind of like a little um, blip of their birth and kind of how things went. And it's just been so fun to see how much people are learning and gaining in just a couple births after taking our course. So it's been awesome. And I would also like to say thank you for having us on the podcast. Yeah, I think that's so cool. You know, we're talking to a lot of birth professionals in this podcast, and I love hearing how people, you know, continue to serve their clients, but also serving in a lot of different ways. And I think it it is hopefully inspirational to the doulas out there listening who have this passion. Maybe it's not VBAC, maybe it's something else, but they have a passion that they can, you know, they can go wherever they want to go with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and you know, we even have people who are like, you know, I am not quite a doula yet. And we do encourage people to be doulas before they take our course and stuff, but they just love being involved in birth and want to kind of submerge themselves in the birth world. And, you know, we're like, can you take it and, you know, take the course and then see where it takes you. And a lot of people are like, yeah, this is totally where I want to be completely. So it's been awesome. I love it. So talk to me about VBAC. So um, first of all, like, let's go through the acronyms because there's a lot of acronyms. A lot of people probably know them, but some people are thinking like, like VBAC, HBAC, TULAC. <laughs> right. You guys want to run through like TULAC. TOLAC. That sounds TOLAC. like TOLAC. That sounds like yeah. something I want to plant and then maybe eat. Right? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> yes. Well, and so really, I mean, labor after cesarean or um, tr trial of labor, I mean, trial of labor after cesarean, um, that's what that means. Trial okay. of labor. And so that's everyone, right? So everyone's in a TOL, um, trial of labor. And so this, the LAC, like that end is labor and then after cesarean. And so um, that's all that means is trial of labor after cesarean, TOLAC. Yep. And Perfect. yeah, like with, you know, um, Julie mentioned she had an, a home birth and after cesarean. And so that would be H back. So home birth after cesarean. Um, mine was VBA 2C, meaning I had a vaginal birth after two cesareans. Um, and then there's like, I mean, it gets all crazy. Like two, yeah. Two, two, two VBAs after two C's. Yeah. <laughs> I had three HBACs, so three home births after, after cesarean. cesarean. And so yeah. you just got to like play around with the numbers and the, if you know what the main acronyms mean, you can usually figure it out. <laughs> Perfect. That's good. That's a good primer for people. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing I really wanted to ask you is about VBAC. So 
who should attempt to VBAC? Should everybody attempt to VBAC? Who shouldn't? I think, as you guys well know, the majority of people who have cesarean elect to have a cesarean after that. And I think a lot of the medical model that we're in, a lot of people, a lot of doctors recommend just, you know, just get a cesarean, like just keep doing the cesarean route. Um, so I'd really like to hear your guys's perspective on that. Yeah. You know, everybody's situation is so different, but I'm just going to throw out some statistics for you because I am a statistics-aholic. And so I love data. <laughs> love it. So the American Pregnancy Association says that up to 90% of parents who have had a previous cesarean will be good candidates to attempt a VBAC. That's 90%. A lot, but, yeah. But only 10% of those 90% will try, will be given the chance or choice to try or have a TOLAC, a trial of labor, after cesarean. But 80% of people, 60 to 80%, depending on the study and the support received, 60 to 80% of those parents who attempt a vaginal birth after cesarean will be successful. And so there's a huge skew in the data. Um, there was once a belief of once a cesarean, always a cesarean. That is over a hundred years old. <laughs> That's so dated. <laughs> um, and it is such a different time than when we're, what we're living right now anyways. But there's a lot of politics and history going with cesarean and VBAC. And we go over all of that in depth in our course. I think we have like a 30 minute video just about the history of VBAC and cesarean and how it's changed and evolved. And so it's safe to say that most women are really good candidates for vaginal birth after cesarean. And the, the problem is, is that providers aren't giving them the option and they don't know they have the option. I was just at a birth yesterday. There was three midwives there, <laughs> two, two CNMs and a CPM. So different levels of midwifery. Mm -hmm. And they were all talking about about like the maternity system and how everything is shifted and the differences. And one of the midwives had been practicing for, I think like 40 years. And she like lived through all of these things that had happened. And I just loved picking her brain and hearing like firsthand experiences of like the big backlash in the nineties for VWAC and how everybody it used to be like, everybody would have to have a trial of labor, even if they didn't want to. And it's just so much compounded into that decision. And providers aren't just, are just not giving parents an option. It's, and parents aren't taking control of their birth. People want to be told what to do to birth their babies. Like the majority of women, and it's sad, and we see it all the time, that we've been groomed from such an early age to just be told what to do during our birth instead of putting the trust in our bodies. And so um, we are not advocates of like going rogue and not trusting your provider and go birth alone in the woods. I mean, if that's for you, then, then that's awesome. But what we're, what we're trying to do is help parents um, educate themselves on what their options are and so that they can determine on their own what type of birth they want and find a provider that supports what they want instead of their provider making them support their own decisions for their birth. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how do you go about, so, so as a doula, 
let's say my client um, wants a VBAC and they are, they are with the practice that you know as a doula has, mm-hmm. is not super supportive of that. Like you're not seeing a lot of VBACs come out of them. You see a lot of the bait and switch, you know, like, oh yeah, you can go 42 weeks, no problem. And then like 39 weeks mm-hmm. they're trying, you know, you know, as a doula, we know, like we know which yep. a it lot of times all the time <laughs> for sure. So like, what's your role as a doula? Let's say either the interview or maybe they hire you. Like if their birthing choices are not in alignment, what is, what's your role? And maybe like, how do we speak to that effectively? So we actually have a lot of people over here. (laughs) Yeah, it is a hard question. Um, And I think we should both answer because I think we both handle things a little bit differently. And as doulas, like I really think you need to find your individual style about how you approach situations like that. Um, But I do want to preface it with the fact that we both advocate hugely for parents to trust their intuition. And if for whatever reason they are choosing to stay with a provider that we know won't be supportive, you don't know if that's the provider that that person has to be with for a specific reason, even though they may not be generally supportive. And so it's really hard to say, like, I know we know, we know we could tell you right now, (laughs) the providers in our area that are big bait and switchers. But what, what I focus on personally as a doula is just educating my clients like first finding out what birth they want, but then helping them figure out what the provider that is supportive of that birth looks like so that when they go into their prenatal appointments, they are seeing whether or not their provider fits in line with their goals. And it's actually really funny because while you were asking that question, um, there's a provider local here that everyone refers to for VBAC after two or more cesareans. And he's not, he's a big bait and switcher Mm. at the end. Um, And I have clients that will go to him initially. And then as we talk about what a supportive provider looks like and things like that, the last like four clients I have had that started out with him have actually switched and they decide by themselves because they know that that provider is not supportive because that's what they have been learning. I have been helping them understand that. And honestly, if they would have chosen to stay with that provider, I would have supported them because I, I trust and honor their own choices and their instincts and intuition as well. So that's what I, that's kind of the way I like to do it. But Megan, what would you, what would you say? So, um, at our first prenatal visit, we have a bunch of questions and we give them to our clients and say, okay, here are some questions you may not think, you know, to ask your provider that may come up, whether it's now or in the end. Um, and, um, we give those questions to them and then, and at that same visit, we discuss kind of what their preferences are for their birth. Cause we start kind of planning for their preferences so we can understand and then get the questions that they have. You know, they may have a preference that they're unsure if it's a preference or not. And so we um, educate on that. And um, then at the second visit, they report back to us with the answers to what their provider said. And a lot of the times they'll say like, this really made me feel weird or I was unsettled about this answer. And then we kind of just 
say, okay, um, what made you feel weird about that? Or, you know, whatever this, and, um, usually it's them just coming. We, we never say like, you should totally switch. That's a bad thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we say, okay, well, you know what, the last time we discussed, this is what you said your preferences were. It sounds like this provider might not totally be in line with that, whether or not you switch or not, you know, like, it's just, that's the fact, like, sounds like it's not, this provider's not wanting what you're wanting. Um, and then we leave it up to them to change or not. Um, and a lot of times we don't have people change because they feel like probably like I did with my second baby, like some loyalty to their provider that unfortunately my provider just really didn't give a rat's a about it. Um, you know, or about me and the, my, my, (laughs) (laughs) like what I wanted to do. Um, so much to the effect that after that baby, he, and I went to go get my medical records to change. He told me, good luck. No one would want me out there. Like I was a plague or something, you know? And so, um, sometimes they don't switch and that can sometimes be hard. Um, and challenging as a doula when we know someone wants something or desires a birth a certain way or whatever it may be, and they're getting a lot of flack and they have to fight back. But that's kind of where we as birthing people get to decide what we want to do next if we have our baby with that provider, you know? And so um, we do have people say, is this a red flag? And I won't lie. I will say, yes, that is a red flag, especially based off of what you're wanting. If you're wanting this and they're saying this, then, you know, that's a red flag. And if you're, they're only telling you this, it's only going to be 10 times worse pressure wise when it comes down to birthing. And so, yeah, it's just kind of giving them the education and the facts and the questions and letting them decide on their own. Can I put out a scenario for a moment? So I am whatever, 23 and I am newly pregnant with my second. No, none of this is true, of course. Um, I was like, you're just 23? You no, lucky. no, I'm only 21 actually. So. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> and um, so no, I'm 43, but in this scenario, I'm young. I'm a young mom and I am having a second child and I had a cesarean with my first and I was getting my nails done yesterday and the girl next to me was talking about VBAC. I'd never heard that term. Now I was like, that's interesting. I didn't even know that was a possibility. Uh, I'm planning to have a cesarean with my second child. Maybe let me go research it. Ooh, and now I find you to the VBAC link and I come to you and I say, I'm, you know, I tell you my story and I'm like, it really sounds unsafe. I Googled what's the worst case scenario and I really don't like that thought. So, but I do want to know what my choices are. So I'm just kind of curious. I'm just kind of curious, you know, and the culture that I, the backstory is that the culture that I grew up in, you know, my kind of community culture isn't really one where you ask questions. You don't, you know, you don't question the status quo or the doctor. And so how do you have that conversation with this, client, where do you begin? Do you begin with stats? Do you begin with, let's educate you and do this? What's kind of like, take me through what the dialogue could look like for that. Well, first of all, I think both of us would just reassure them that there's no right choice that like you can choose to have a repeat cesarean, but let it be your choice. Know what choice you're making. And and that's okay. Like repeat cesareans, we're not anti-cesarean. We know we've both seen them save lives, literally saves lives. But I've even had one. (laughs) Yeah. 
but you just, you're, they're just overused. And so we would first just reaffirm that this mama is making the right thing by seeking out information and making a choice and that whatever she chooses is okay for her. And then we would probably just depend on what she wants to know, send her some information because usually people don't come and say like, what do I need to know? People will say like, well, how do I ask my provider? How do I talk to my provider about or this? Or my partner's not on board. My partner thinks that feedback sounds really unsafe. Yeah. Can you yeah, explain to me how this is a safe choice? Yeah. And so we have a ton of blogs about all sorts of topics. And one of the blogs we have about is how to f- tell if your provider's feedback supportive or not and what questions to ask them. We have another blog on um, what if your partner's not on board, on board with feedback, like how to talk to your partner or people who love you and want you to be safe, but don't understand your desire for vaginal birth. And so we would just kind of send them a couple of our blogs just to begin with. And then maybe even a couple podcast episodes because every episode has a story and then also an educational fact. And then we do just sometimes random episodes with just where we just talk about a specific subject like uterine rupture, or we'll talk about just like answer emails or we'll post questions on like a post a question on our story and people can ask questions and we'll answer them on the podcast. And so just depending on the feel of what that person really needs, we're both like really intuitive. And so we can kind of just start guiding them. And then as they ask more questions, um, we can direct them. But also, we also would recommend for somebody that doesn't know anything about VBAC to take our course. I mean, because we, and we always recommend that for everybody because it is packed full of so much information that you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours searching on and getting everybody's opinion on. It's just all right there laid out for you. And so we, I would always recommend that as well because we cover absolutely everything you never knew you needed to know about feedback in the class. So that would be, um, kind of where I'm going, Megan, what would you add with that? Yeah, I would um I would just start off with the question of why do you feel like you'd want to be back? What what leads you to to that search in the first place? Um what desires do you have? Is it just because you you're curious of what it means? Is it because you have a really like burning passion to deliver vaginally? Is it because you had a traumatic cesarean and kind of going over with that and then um I'd probably kind of process a little bit with them. And then of course I would definitely, like Julie said, like reference um, our class because there's a lot to be learned in our class. And the reason why we made this class is so they can get all of the evidence-based facts and the history and everything that they need in one, it's like a one-stop shop. So they don't have to go Google and hear all the crazy, scary stories because when you are preparing to birth a baby, whether it be a trial of labor after cesarean or your first baby or your second, um, it's intimidating going into the unknown, right? We have no idea how this birth is going to play out. It might be exactly like our first. It might be faster. It might be slower. We have no idea. Um, and so, um, kind of preparing them with that education. And then, um, I would probably like to report back and see how they felt and answer the questions and help them decide if they ultimately feel like, um, the risks of, doing a vaginal birth after cesarean is something that they want, or if they don't mind the risks of a a repeat cesarean or where they're at and then support them in whatever that looks like. Right. I mean, it's always a pros versus cons in all of our choices, right? So I think sometimes we get 
We get in the mindset of doulas want everyone to have like water home birth and they think that we don't support cesareans or we think everyone should have a VBAC. And so I love hearing that you guys support all types of birth and it's more about empowering people to make the right choice for them. Is that exactly is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Because yep. like, like Julie said, like we're not against um, repeat cesarean or even um, scheduled first cesarean. Um, sure. We just want everyone to know the risks and benefits of both sides and decide what's best for them and their family. Because someone who is just having one baby um, and that's it, like they may end up choosing a cesarean for multiple reasons. I don't know. Um, and that doesn't mean we are against that or anything. We just want to make sure that everyone feels loved and supported and educated because I know that during my VBAC um, journey with my second baby that ended in a repeat cesarean due to lack of support overall, you know, I felt very alone. I felt very alone. I was in the world of Google and Google can, you can go real far deep down this rabbit hole real quick and it's scary. And you're like, I don't know what to believe like this and that. And then Joe Schmo over here saying that and Facebook saying this, it's so overwhelming. And so um, it's just nice to have the stats, the facts, really have someone, you know, that's why we love doulas so much is because doulas can help really process these birth experiences for both them and their partner. Because sometimes the birthing parent is totally wanting to have a TOLAC, but the partner is super traumatized. And so they're like right. pulling. And so then we've got this couple that are like pulling back and forth and that makes it hard. There's just so much, there's so much that can go into it. Yeah, and what so, about someone who I have, sorry, Lens, but no, go. I've been writing down a few questions here. Um, here. Just really also based on the world that I'm in. So you might not know a lot about me and this is Lauren speaking right now. And I work a lot with women who have core and pelvic floor uh, issues and many of them are postpartum and many of them are very much traumatized by their experience and they feel let down by their body. I do have quite a number of people who, um, so now let's say, let's go back to our um, avatar and our avatars. Now you've given her, um, you've given me the 23 year old second time mom, uh, the VBAC, why, why it might be an okay choice. And I'm starting to feel okay about this. But then I say, well, the other thing is that I started to show signs of having a prolapse after my first and my OB has you know, convinced me and I've done the reading that I can um, make my prolapse much worse by going through labor. So yeah. I'd like to know what you think of that. You know, I have a, um, this scenario to be exact. <laughs> um, I have a, a friend that um, she delivered um, her first baby and had just a severe tear and prolapse and just very traumatizing. Um, you know, and it can get, it can get pretty crazy. Um, it can get bad, you know, and it's traumatizing for both them and their partners and their family's life and everything. And, um, so she scheduled her provider said the same thing, like, Oh, like, is this just going to make it worse? And like, if you thought that was bad, if you birth another baby, even though you've healed, it's just going to be worse and, and, and all this stuff. And so they scheduled a second or a cesarean for her second. And for their third, she was like, there's just no way, like, 
because I was like, you knew, you do know that you can TOLAC. And we talked about that. And she's like, I just don't know. And she was so traumatized from the postpartum experience from the first baby that she was like, there's no way. I'm just not even doing that. Um, and so it's hard. And, and I wanted to try and like give her, like have her talk to a pelvic floor specialist and um, like a different one that um, maybe was a different, you know, had a different view. At the end of it, it just came down to needing to support whatever she wanted and um, also take, take into account that she didn't want that information I wanted to give her. Right. Like yeah. I had to accept that she didn't want the information. I knew that she had other choices and that she was kind of being uh, feared into, I don't know, what's, what's the right word? Like, she, you know, kind of, I don't even want to say bullied, coerced. but like coerced. Yeah. She's yeah. being coerced into this other route, um, even though she had these other options, but she was so traumatized. Honestly, she really was. And, um, and I don't blame her for her experience. It sounded really awful. Um, but she was so traumatized that like even bringing in any information was so overwhelming that she just was like, no, not happening. And she had a second cesarean and that's totally okay. But again, it's so hard. Like as doulas or birth professionals, like we have to also understand when the right time is to give this information and when it's wanting to be received. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more. So you don't have a blanket answer for can birth, vaginal delivery Sorry. with my prolapse worse. So I guess I kind of like went around that, you know, yes, it could. Um, it totally could, um, based off of like how long you push, how low your baby is and things like that. But I do know that. So I've also seen a client that did have prolapse and she went to the pelvic floor specialist I was just talking about and learned a different way to push a more controlled, um, way to push in a different area and push that baby out. And she has no worse of symptoms than she did before. Yeah. Lauren okay, I will. Yeah. I'll corroborate by saying that, uh, in my experience working with thousands of women with prolapse and yeah. birth is that exactly, it doesn't have to get like it, Anecdotally, I can tell you that I have Lindsay and I have many clients who do our One Strong Mama program. This was why we created it because so many of my clients were getting pregnant, and that my my program was a postpartum program, right? Postpartum. Mm -hmm. But then we had mm -hmm. all of them getting pregnant again, and um, they were wanting a prenatal program. So I teamed up with Lindsay to do that. And I can tell you, because I've seen now, we've been open for years, I've seen many women with prolapse go on to have second, third, fourth babies, and it doesn't have to get worse. But there is yeah. a lot of fear around that. And I think that, I, I, I wondered if that comes up a lot and if people ask about that and how you guys, how you guys address it. Yeah. So sorry, I kind of like bounced around all over. Oh, that but was yeah. great. But yeah, it, it doesn't have to be. Could it be? Possibly, but it doesn't have to be. And so, yeah. I think people don't know that while they're pregnant, you can do core and pelvic floor rehab. Well, and we so, talk and about that in so our effective. It is so yeah. effective. Yeah, do. That's good. 
pelvic. Yeah, we have that in our a whole section on that yep. because a lot of people think, oh, pelvic floor is only good for after baby, but that's so incorrect. It's so incorrect. Like you can get some pelvic floor guidance and support. In fact, we just recorded an episode last week on a client who decided to go to a pelvic floor specialist before, even just a couple times. And she was like, it was a night and day difference for me. Right. Like your when, pelvic when floor can... needs to yield. It needs to be responsive, not just tight. We need to have the ability yes. for yes. the body to respond to the labor appropriately. And I think we live in a society where we we have a lot of tension and we're not very mobile and that comes out in our pelvis. So it's what you know what taught is to do Kegels. Everyone right. everyone's just mm-hmm. taught to do Kegels. Like, oh just do Kegels. Oh just do Kegels. And it's like Okay, Kegels might be what you need, but you might need a whole bunch more. Right. And here, so yeah, I want to segue a little bit. So what I see a lot with, well, I see a lot of different things. I've been to probably several hundred VBACs and cesarean, just a lot of variety of birth. And the one thing I'll notice with some people preparing for a VBAC is and granted, I will say I have be back, I have doula for a lot of like the I can leaders, so people who are really into it. So you they can get so obsessive, so to speak. Like it is like their full time job to prepare for this birth, and I one hundred percent get it. So let's say this person is super focused. She's doing the VBAT course. She's doing you know OSM. She's preparing her mind. Maybe she's doing hypno babies, whatever. And now she has a cesarean for whatever reason. How can we, like, what do you as a doula or as a birth worker, how do you, one, prepare them prenatally? Like, do you prepare them for both possibilities? And then, like, second part of the question, what do you do if it doesn't go as planned? So it's a long question. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I want to say one more thing about pelvic floor, if that's oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Do it. <laughs> um, so... I think it's especially important if you've had a previous cesarean to go see a pelvic floor specialist because one of the most common lasting mm-hmm. effects of cesarean sections are the scar tissue and dense adhesions, which means the, sure. the scars adhere to other organs in your body. The scar tissue can adhere to the organs like your bladder, your ovaries, things like that, and you won't even know it. And if that scar tissue is adhered to other parts of your body, then it will really, really limit your chance of having a successful vaginal birth unless that scar tissue is worked through and softened and released. And so seeing a pelvic floor specialist or a practitioner, what is it called? Structural MFR, myofascial release. Yeah. Yes. Myofascial. That's right. Um, is really, really important. We even talk about cesarean scar massage, like just simply massaging your own scar in our course. And that's so important. So, yeah. And I will segue off that quickly to say that mm -hmm. I have a lot of clients too, and I'm not shift. This is really not me extrapolating. It's kind of working off what they've told me who believe strongly that they had a hard time having a vaginal delivery their first time around because they failed to dilate from so much pelvic floor tension Mm -hmm. or trauma, sexual trauma, life trauma, um, any sort of, any sort of trauma, right? Life is traumatic. So, Mm and that in preparing themselves for a VBAC, they take into account very strongly um, the need to uncover 
what's at play in their pelvic floor. Is it trauma? Is it holding? Is there too much tension? Are the pelvic floor muscles functional and the core as well? And I think that it's this whole other side of pelvic floor health and um, even VBAC health, right? Birth that we often don't look at what is the emotional side of a birth and what's at play there. That really needs to be addressed, I think. I'm not oh, sure how you sure. guys Absolutely. About that. I mean, so much birth trauma. I mean, we go into this, if we have previous trauma, it's going to come up. Like if sexual trauma, mm-hmm. previous birth trauma, it's, it's all there in the pelvis. Exactly. I just got done writing a blog about um, healing birth trauma, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, really long. (laughs) I bet. Going back to your question about um, what happens if you don't get your V back, like that really is is really hard on parents that have, and I'm using like air quotes here, but like done everything right, right? They hired a doula, they saw a chiropractor, they saw a pelvic floor specialist, they educated themselves, they listened to every single podcast, they took the course, they took lots of courses. And, and then something happens to where they don't get their feedback and it is a whole different level of, um, trauma or, or sadness or sense of loss that you have to process through. So first of all, we always let them know this is after the fact, of course, that it's okay to feel happy that you have a healthy and well baby and sad that you lost the birth experience that you prepared for at the same time. You can have both of those emotions exist in the same space and it's complicated and it can feel heavy and it's easy to feel guilty about that, but it's okay to feel that way. Um, you can have both of those feelings, but that's one of the things um, that we go over in our course as well. And we talk about it a lot on our podcast. So you talk about it like ahead of time. Like I, Mm -hmm. there's like this camp of like, only focus on the positive, like don't focus on the possibility that could end in cesarean. And then there's other people who I've noticed, they will say, Oh, make your VBAC plan and make your cesarean birth plan. Yeah. That's where I was kind of going with. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we do this in both as doulas and in in the VBAC link business as well. We, we share stories from all different types of birth outcomes. We even share uterine rupture story, repeat cesarean stories, all of those stories, because we want parents to know like what circumstances that they could find themselves in. So we educate them in our courses. And again, as doulas, so I'm kind of speaking generally for both here, um, at the, during their prenatal visits and during the course, we talk about repeat cesareans. What's, what are indications for repeat cesareans? Like when is it really necessary and how to know how to avoid like the common reasons for cesarean, how to safely avoid them, of course. And we go over family-centered cesarean and how to make your cesarean experience better if you do find that you are one of the ones that needs to have a repeat cesarean for a true medical indication. And so I always ask my clients, even non or even parents that don't have a history of cesarean, I always ask them, I'm like, do you want to talk about cesarean options? Like I know your hospital, I know what their, what their family centered cesarean options look like. And we can talk about those and make a plan. And then a lot of people don't like to talk about it. They like to, like, there's this mindset in our birthing culture of people that are, are doing things, um, where they get educated and that they only want to hear positive stories or think about positive things. And that's great. But I think in a way it can set yourself up to be disappointed with your birth. 
And so I always encourage my clients to talk, let's talk about it. Let's figure out what that looks like. And then once we're done talking about it, we'll pack it up and we'll put it away. And we don't go. have yeah. to talk about it again. In, but then if it does come up in your birth, we have talked about it. We can pull it out and we can say, okay, this is what we need to feel supported and feel in control and feel like we we're the ones making decisions instead of having the doctors call all our shots. And every client I've done that with that has ended up in either a cesarean or a repeat cesarean always says, while they are definitely sad and mourning the loss of their vaginal birth, they know with confidence that their cesarean was necessary and they felt like they were in control of everything that was going on and that they were a participant in their care. And parents feeling like that, feeling like they were involved in the decision-making regarding their care is the biggest preventer of postpartum PTSD related to their birth. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a really important thing. And then just sitting and afterwards listening to them process, but but educating them on both ends. We do that at the VBAC link. We do that as doulas. We don't want to be all sunshine and butterflies. Sometimes cesareans are, are beautiful and healing experiences. And sometimes even VBACs are traumatic experiences and being prepared for all of the things is more likely to help you feel satisfied with your overall birth experience. That's good. I think when I was a brand new doula, I went into it a little bit not maybe consciously, but I think subconsciously some of us go into it thinking like, I'm going to come and I'm going to support so well, like no one's going to have a cesarean, like, because I know all the spinning babies moves and I know this and I know that. And my first birth that I ever attended was like 50 hours, 60 hours long. First time mom ended in a cesarean. I did everything within my power. And it was a really great wake up call of like, you know, shit happens. Mm-hmm. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it happens. And it was nobody's fault. It wasn't, it was just the way this birth needed to go. And yes, we could look back and think like, yeah, there's other things that maybe could have happened prenatally. But I think it's really huge for birthing professionals to understand that we can only control what we, you know, the care we give. We can't control outcomes. But, you know, we can stack the cards in their favor. We can do all we can to get the person what they want. But I think I also maybe was a little rose colored glasses as well. You know, I'd tell people like, oh yeah, do all this. And we didn't talk about the cesarean plan. And I will always wonder if, you know, 10 years ago, some of those clients were maybe were dissatisfied. Like I spent all this money on my doula and my hypno babies class and Mm -hmm. this and that. And then like, we didn't spend any time prenatally talking about these possibilities that then happened, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important to, to remember that birth, that, that trauma, birth trauma doesn't just have to be for the birthing person, the partner and the birth workers involved in the birth can suffer from birth trauma too. And maybe the birthing person doesn't even have trauma related to the birth at all. But as doulas, I know that I've walked away from several births with a very heavy burden on my shoulders because of the things that happened at the birth and knowing how to process through that and having a safe space to do that as a doula outside of your clients is very, very important because you don't want to bring your trauma or your feelings back to them because by them hearing your story or their, your perception of their birth could add 
emotions and feelings into how they remember their birth. And you don't want to negatively influence that. And so we also go over a lot of those things in our doula course as well. Yeah, that's huge. I have found it very important to find some doulas, if you're a doula, to talk with. And to when, whenever I'm going to prenatal or a postpartum, excuse me, I want to hear what you guys do. I always ask them to share their story. I'm not telling them what I think happened. Yes. Because I've been to, like, I can remember one of the hardest births I've ever went to. I went to her postpartum and she's like, that was amazing. You were amazing. It was all amazing. My doctor was amazing. And so and like, you're like are I, you kidding me? Who am I to be like, <laughs> OMG, right? I like couldn't sleep for days after that, you know? So, um, that is huge. That is a huge thing for you guys to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, I encourage that doulas to have a buddy, a support person or a group. And we have, um, our, our, we provide a group on Facebook for our doulas, for our VBAC doulas, because um, you need someone to turn to. You need someone to be able to go to and say, oh my gosh, this is what happened. I need to process this and I need a safe place to do it so I don't unload it on my client. Right. That's huge. That's so Absolutely. Huge. Um, I was just like that yesterday with Megan. I'm like, you're not going to believe what's happening right now. This is so crazy. <laughs> I feel I like know. I can't. And then I'm like on my way home from the birth and I'm like, I just need to go to bed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. think... Well, do you guys text during birth? Often I will get texts from doula friends and they'll be like, hey, this is going on. What should I do? Because sometimes if you've been awake for 30 hours, you just need, or 10 hours, whatever. You just need someone, an outside perspective to be like, have you tried this technique or have you done this? Oh yeah. We do that all the time with each other and with other doulas as well. In fact, yeah, I was going to say that group that we were just talking about, like there's a lot of us who aren't even in the same area, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm yeah, our country. Hey, I'm out of birth right now. This is what we're seeing. Does anyone have any other suggestions? I'm feeling like I'm tapping out of my ideas. Or has anyone ever seen this? And what was the result? Or what are the pros and cons to doing this? You know, like they just trouble, we troubleshoot together and it's, you know, it's a nice community. It's It's really cool. Yeah. This conversation is fascinating and I'm loving it, but I do want to be mindful of your time. Um, So (laughs) I I do forever. (laughs) We could. I would love to ask you, and we do ask a lot of our guests this. It's always very interesting. Um, Would you rather be puked on? No, I'm kidding. So the question (laughs) that I would like to ask you is, um, the question I'd like to ask you is, is there anything that you know, hindsight is twenty twenty vision, right? And we all feel like the older we get, the more wise we get. I hope that we're all feeling that way. So is there anything you see in the with doulas, new doulas or not, hopefully new, and around the subject of VBAC that, not that makes you cringe, in the way that for me when people are saying, oh, Kegels are all you need for your pelvic floor, and I'm like cringing. So, is there anything that you hear people do or say, or that you'd love to to just give a piece of advice to any birth worker about maybe a way to handle that situation different, or how to anything? Say it, speak it. So, is there anything? That- oh my gosh, <laughs> the first know, thing that came to my things. mind. Well, no, the biggest one is when I hear doulas in other groups, like there's doula groups with like thousands and thousands of doulas. And so everyone's going to have a different opinion. But when I hear doulas say, 
that you don't have to treat a VBAC client different than you would treat any other birthing person. That like really makes me cringe because mm-hmm. if you don't understand what makes a VBAC client different than a person without a scar on their uterus, you're doing a really big disservice to them because you're not prepared to handle the mental aspect of it. You're not prepared to handle the things that they're going to be facing from their providers, their moms, their, their cousins, their husbands, their partners, whatever. Um, and they have very unique needs and circumstances and some are way more complex than others for sure. But not recognizing that there's a difference between someone with a scarred uterus and an unscarred uterus is a big, like cringeworthy thing for me. <laughs> and Megan, what's you, yours? Or oh, I, Yeah, I want to hear Megan's, but can we say more about that? About are there, what are the different ways that you, how do you feel different? Or like how do you support different? it differently? Yeah. I think. Like what's the difference for so, you? The first, very first thing I do is find out how their cesarean birth went and how they feel about it. Because 98% of cesarean births in the United States are emergency or unplanned cesareans. And so many times we have clients coming to us where they didn't have a doula. They, they didn't know what they didn't know until after they needed to know it. And they're struggling with some level of depression, trauma, anxiety, or whatever, and getting to the root of that and find, and granted, we're not therapists. And sometimes people, we have to refer to therapists because we're not able to properly treat their symptoms or the things that they're feeling, especially if it's birth trauma, but finding out what that big thing is that like it's heavy on their mind. Like for me, I'm like, I don't know if my cesarean was necessary. I was so hyper-focused on my blood pressure, my whole second pregnancy. Like it raised my blood pressure because of how focused (laughs) on it I was because I had preeclampsia, you know? So finding out the triggers or, or their emotional ties that bring fear into their preparation is going to, um, be the, probably one of the biggest things that makes a VBAC client different. And we have like a fear release course in our activities for parents to do. Like we have like a whole workbook, like we make them do things, we give them homework. And so we have this fear release session and we teach doulas how to do a fear release just one particular way. There's a lot of ways that you can do it and it doesn't really matter, but that is really important because as a doula, you can help them work through those fears, but then you also know what those fears are going into the birth and you can help them navigate around it. If you see something related to their fear creeping into their birth space, for example, in my case, like if I have one high blood pressure reading, I like freaked out and I need my doula there to, and my midwife to like, just calm me down and say, do you know what? It's okay. It's just one high reading, take some deep breaths. You're making it worse right now. Right. So you really need to know, you really need to know. I found that true as well. You really need to know their triggers. Like Mm -hmm. let's say six centimeters. I was stuck there at my last birth, 12 hours. Now I'm finding out that I'm six centimeters. Even if I've been there for one minute, it could be Mm -hmm. a huge trigger. Or let's say you are there and then they read, they check you again, you're six centimeters again. Mm -hmm. I had a client who had a traumatic birth experience. Um, and like her trigger was, Um, it was when she was seven centimeters dilated. So we created an affirmation for her. Like we wrote it out, hung it on her wall and it said, I am an eight. So every time she got a cervical check, that we told her provider, just say whatever she is, I don't care if she's two or if she's 
or if she's seven or whatever, say you're an eight, you're eight centimeters dilated. And then guess what? When she finally did get to an eight, it was like a release in heaven and the rest of the birth went smoothly. But like her affirmation was she just had to focus on getting to eight getting to eight centimeters. And that was, that was a big thing. But then like, sometimes parents don't have that much trauma to work through. Like I had another client that whose her first V back was because it was, or her first cesarean was because it was twins and she just didn't know better. And her provider didn't give her any other option. And she was perfectly comfortable with that fact. She's like, gosh, I just didn't know any better that I had options, but now I know what my options are. I'm like, I'm super cool. And so we didn't have to work through a lot of that um, trauma related to like the what ifs or what if I did this instead. Um, so that's really a really big thing. And then understanding like the political bias in, and the history and why some of these providers are, are really insistent on getting baby out sooner or not offering feedback at all or things like that is just um, also really important because it is a very political space to be in. Feedback is. Sure. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I think when people hear like you should you should understand that a VBAC mom is um, very different and you should treat them differently. Um, I don't necessarily treat them differently, but like I I know I'm aware of what what's different for them. Does that make sense? Like, and I think that's kind of like exactly what Julie says. Like, I think a lot of people. Yeah, are like, that's what I meant. You don't have. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't have to like look at someone and be like, oh, they have a scar on their uterus. They're this, you know what I mean? But it's like, okay, they, they've been through a different experience and they might get better, more flack or whatever in the birth world. However, I do want to point out that sometimes first time, first time moms that didn't have a doula maybe, or whatever, maybe they had a birth and then they are hiring you for the second time, right? They also might have those things. And so it's really important to do that with all of your clients and not just your TOLAC moms um, and couples, but also like be prepared that you may have to work a little bit more through things with your TOLAC clients or, you know, a little bit um, because of the flack that they might receive in the birth world, which is unfortunate. They are just any other person delivering a baby, just like a first, second time, fourth time, seventh time mom. But they're Mm. always, they're not always viewed that way. Right. I know some of my VBAC moms, I spend more time prenatally on the phone with them than even in the labor. Like I can think of one specifically where it was an HBAC, so home birth after cesarean, 43 and a half weeks. And her birth was very swift, very fast, but I spent weeks like we would be on the phone together for hours because she's going past that 42 weeks. She's no longer in that box that we perceive as normal. And so she needed a lot of, a lot of talking. So it's a lot, but that's what some people need. And maybe that they need that more than they need you during the birth. You you never know. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Like that, that prenatal care might be bigger than your support during the birth. Completely, And I think it's more impactful too, like getting prepared in the right mental space and also connected to the right resources in your community, like chiropractor. And especially if a a client has been diagnosed with a, a small pelvis or been told that her babies are too big, like getting her connected and being aware of that. And I mean, small pelvis is like not a very good reason. Yeah, we need to do a whole separate episode on that. But like, but there are things that you can do to encourage her to 
let her pelvis be more flexible and open and ready. And then sometimes just giving a parent something to do is makes them feel so much better about the situation. So be like, oh, you told your pelvis just too small, or you're worried about your pelvis being too small. Well, let's get you to see, in to see a chiropractor. Let's get you to see a structural integration specialist and maybe see a pelvic floor therapist. And, you know, just give them a couple things to do. And so they can feel like they're being proactive about avoiding that again. <laughs> yes, that's huge. So good. So that's amazing. That's a great way for us to segue into how can people find you? Where should people go to um, learn more about what you offer? We will include your links in the show notes, but what's a great place for people to hang out at? We're everywhere on social media and just at the VBAC link. So Instagram at the VBAC link. Our Facebook page is called the VBAC link. Our group is called the VBAC link community. We have a YouTube channel we have Pinterest, we have Twitter, which we're actually posting on weekly now. So like, that's really awesome. I feel like I'm like younger than I am because I'm tweeting. Um, and then our website is just the vbacklink.com. You can find our courses right there on the homepage for both parents and doulas. And we just are reworking our parents and doula manuals, our workbooks, and adding a bunch of video content to the courses as well. And so I would encourage anyone that's interested to get in now while our prices are still where they're at, because every time we add content to the course, people who have already purchased the course get to see that additional content, even though the prices may go up. So, um, where else are we, Megan, or what would you add? Come say hi. Like we love talking to to people. We just love connecting with everybody wh wherever you're yeah. at and wherever your circumstances. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. And then obviously we have the podcast and we're pretty much on everything. Oh, yeah. Podbean, <laughs> iTunes, you know, Apple, Breaker, all, Google, Overcast. all of it. So we've got our <laughs> podcast and our podcast definitely is um, full of birthing parents' stories. They're both their cesarean and their vaginal births um, and their VBACs. And some, some are pretty, pretty deep. We actually, we have a uterine rupture story on there. You have two. Um, yeah, we do. And we have, I mean, we have some, some stories. So um, I just want to kind of like let people know ahead of time, like read the description before you start <laughs> listening, because we don't want to trigger anyone. But at the same time, Julie and I feel it's so important to share all the wide ranges of stories because there are many and um, it, we don't feel like it, it would be fair or good to single out any of them if that makes sense. Um, and so, um, so yeah. And then we also have birth professionals. So we have pelvic floor specialists on there. We have OBGYNs, a we chiropractor. have chiropractors, midwives. We have, um, just a husbands. Of, we have, yeah, a whole we have husbands. We interviewed five husbands of VBAC mamas after yeah. that. Oh, it was so fun. <laughs> yeah. So we have like a lot of guests, um, guest people on there and we only continue to do that. And then we have a lot of question and answers with us. And so, um, so the podcast is a really great way to kind of start getting to know who Julie and I are and, um, what the feedback link is since that's really kind of where it started. Um, so yeah. And then other than that, like she said, all social media platforms and just email us, tell us, hi, tell us what you're thinking about it. Ask us your questions because, um, we do, we love talking with everybody and making connections all over the world. 
Amazing. Thank you. Well, it's been great talking to you. It's been wonderful. So thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. We can't wait to be guests on yours. Yeah. <laughs> oh my we gosh. We can't wait for you to be guests on yes. ours. We have so, a recording spot open. I'll email you and see if you can fit it in. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you guys. Thank you all for listening to the One Strong Mama podcast for birth professionals. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate all of the support. If you are a birth worker with an inspiring client, or if you have a birth pro in mind that we should definitely chat with, please email us at podcast at onestrongmama.com. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at onestrongmamaprenatal for tips for all stages of pregnancy. And definitely join in on the discussion in the One Strong Mama Facebook community group. See you here next time. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more.